Welcome to the What's In My Head podcast. I'm your host, Julian, and thanks for checking out the audio format of our show. If you want to watch these episodes, check us out on YouTube. Just type in youtube.com slash what's in my head podcast. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the ride as I bring you a piece of your childhood each and every week. Don't forget to smash that subscribe button here as well as on YouTube. Make sure to check us out on all social media platforms. That's where I'll ask you, the fans, to drop a question or two for our upcoming guests. You can find us on social media by searching at In My Head Pod. If you're digging the content, leave us a rating and review as that helps us and other fans of pop culture find us. Enjoy the show. All right, boys and girls, we're back here for the second time today, and we are talking to one of the greatest writers for cartoons, one of my favorite TV shows, Ed, Ed, and Eddie. Welcome to the What's in My Head podcast, Mike Kubat. How are you? Uh, I'm great. Uh, thank you for having me on the podcast. I'm very happy to be here. So thanks. I mean, I'm glad. You, I'm <clears throat> sorry, I just hit puberty. I'm, uh, I'm glad that you're <laughs> I'm glad that you're here with me, man. So I had Matt Hill on earlier, voice of the dumb one, the Ed, right? Or the lovable, yeah. group, right? Um, yeah. How did you get on to We're just going to get right into it, right straight to the meat and potatoes. How did you get on this project? How did you get on Ed, Ed and Eddie? Um. It's a little embarrassing because I know a lot of people work really, really damn hard to get into this industry and get their break and, and, and they go to school and they study and they do all this stuff to pre- prepare themselves for the opportunity where they can show what they can do and stuff. But um, I got this job because I knew Danny Antonucci when I was 15 years old, literally. Uh, he was a friend of my brother's and uh and uh, I knew him from when I was like a kid or the teenager. And then uh, as I got uh, out of high school and became an adult and decided I was going to uh, dabble a little bit into writing, I kept in touch with him. I didn't really write at the time or didn't have any credentials or experience really, but I called him up out of the blue just to see what what he was doing. And he, of course, is the creator of Ed, Ed, and Eddie. And, uh, and he just said, hey, I just got this show on Cartoon Network. I said, hey, I want to be a writer. He said, okay, here you go. And put me through to the story editor and I got the job. It was literally that simple and that easy and a little embarrassing to admit. I see you're wearing a Plank t-shirt there, my friend. I, I am. Look at that, so, eh? Beautiful. One of my, I don't know if you wrote the episode, but one of my favorite episodes is when Jimmy breaks bad. Did you write that episode? No, I didn't. No, that's a good episode, though. I know which one you're talking about. It's fantastic for him just to him take that greaser mentality, slick his hair back. The only thing he was missing, and it was Cartoon Network. The only thing he was missing was a switchblade, and then to him just to snap on Well, we didn't get a lot. We didn't get away with a lot of stuff back then, so it, it's it's all too possible that we could have tried that or wanted to do that, but it just didn't end up in the final project, right? I mean, well, if you guys, first off, Danny is a hard man to track down, so I'm still still working on him. Hopefully, he'll see this and he'll be a, he'll want to be a part of it because my goal is to have everybody. Like I said, I got the the cartoon cartoon. I'm representing real hard and heavy today. Um, you know, these this cast alone or this this uh, amalgamation of cartoons was such a huge part of my childhood, as well as I'm introducing all of them to my son now. He's a ten year old. Um, and whenever I, whenever he asks me who I'm talking to, it's always weird. The characters he connects with. So do you know who Rob Paulson is? Yeah, I'm familiar with him. I don't know him personally though. Okay. So I interviewed him the other day and most people will know him from, you know, Raph 87 cartoon or Yakko from Animaniacs. 
And sure. I brought the story up to him the other day when I was talking to him for this. And then I was like, my kid knows you because of a meme, because of a gif, him offering or asking for a croissant. Nothing compared to what I know him for, but it's always crazy seeing what kids know your characters for. You know, it, it was just... <laughs> Well, hey, you know, I can speak from experience. It's always nice to find a fan, no matter how they found you or what way they found you or what it is that they like to yours. It's uh, always really redeeming and validating when someone says to you, I love that show you worked on, or they'll recite a line that you wrote, or they'll remember a gag that you remembered like coming up with. And that's just an incredibly awesome experience. So thank you. Thank your son. And thank everybody else who loves cartoons. <laughs> I, I, I mean, there's a lot of things going around, but without you guys, we wouldn't really have anything to talk about, man. So <laughs> this is the standing ovation. Take your bow, whatever you got to do, man. You guys are doing the Lord's work over there. Um, when you said you had knew Danny since you were like 15, is that what you said? Yeah, I met him when I was 15 years old. Now, who, who were the characters in his life that were created up here for Ed, Ed and Eddie? Because that just seems like he had a person for each role some of that he did i want to say everybody in ed and eddie was based on a few things a lot of the cul-de-sac kids were based on kids that he grew up with these are people i don't know i don't remember yeah. i didn't grow up with him he's a few years older than me um but uh so a lot of like jimmy was based i think on a cousin of his that he had and uh, and a couple of the other characters and the Canker sisters, there used to be some girls that lived in the neighborhood that used to scare the shit out of them. So they were kind of <laughs> like older girls who were like really mature. And when you're like a little boy, that's a bit intimidating, right? So he always remembered that. So the inspiration for them is drawn upon that. And then um, as far as Ed, Ed and Eddie in particular, I think a lot of that was just based on personal uh, experience. He was, he's raising, he was raising two boys at the time. So a lot of their stuff came from, you know, being a dad and dealing with the crazy shit you deal with when you have kids. Yeah. Um, and, and, uh, and I think the only other one that's kind of like an amalgamation of a lot of different things was Rolf. Cause Rolf is, uh, was like the immigrant and Danny comes from a immigrant family and I can't come from an immigrant family. So he and I would spend a lot of times kind of comparing all the gross food we ate when we were kids that nobody else ate and how all the other kids thought we were weird and stuff. And that all of that kind of was kind of seeded into Rolf and, and hardwired into Rolf. So, so a, a lot of, it's just, it's just a range of different experiences and things based a lot of it, mostly on his childhood though, all on his childhood. So where, where, where's your, where's your people from? Where's your family from? You said you ate some weird stuff. Uh, my, my parents are from the Czech Republic or Czechoslovakia as it was at the time. Yeah. They emigrated in like 1968 and I was born a year later. Yeah. Are you so yeah. first generation? Are you an only child or? No, no. I got an older brother and sister. Everyone in my family was born in Europe, except me. I was born in Canada. Eh? Can't you tell? <laughs> <laughs> I'm very sorry about that, you know. So. Yeah, I'm sure you're really sorry. <laughs> there's, there's, there's a couple things that I just absolutely love that are from Canada. Ed, Ed, and Eddie being one of them. Then sure. you've, got, you've got Tim Hortons being the second one. <laughs> you, guys yeah. got, you guys have got poutine, which is one of my favorite dishes <laughs> of all time. Anytime you can put gravy and cheese on any damn thing, I'm, I'm all in. Right? So, I'm with you on that. Yeah, fat kid growing up. I just I love food. Um, are you are you in? Uh, no, you're a West Coast guy, so you're in LA right now, right? Yeah, I'm just a little south of LA. Yeah, 
you, you miss the uh, you miss the winters up there in Canada at all? Um, I miss Canada a lot. I still have family and friends up there. Um, I miss nature. I used to go fishing uh, every year up there into the middle of British Columbia. I have a couple fishing buddies of mine. So we would drop into these like lakes with nothing and no one around in a bajillion miles. And it was just the most, it's the most awesome experience ever. Um, so we used to do that. It was a yearly thing actually until this COVID stuff happened. So we're all missing out on the traveling and, and the nature and stuff, but I do hike still about yeah. once a week. And I do try to get out where there's some trees and I mean, I'm pretending cause you know, I live in freaking California. I'm never, you know, not three miles away from a Starbucks, but sometimes if I, you know, really entrench myself in like a deep Valley with some trees around, I can pretend that, you know, I'm somewhere else. <laughs> I was stationed out in San Diego, so I can kind of see it's it's funny. You can go two hours in any direction really from California and you're in some kind of different climate or different kind of terrain. So uh it's a it's a weird state to live in for sure. I've met some yeah. interesting people from there. Uh however, it's one of the craziest and prettiest states I've also lived in as well. So sure. Well, that's big. You got you got everything there, right? You got all like you said, all different climates and terrains. It's it's pretty cool for that, but it's also so damn big, right? <laughs> that and there's so many damn people there. But what I yeah. love so much about Southern California was, with the exception of one week a year, it was damn near 75 you know degrees year round. You had no mosquitoes, which was yeah. fantastic. Coming from Florida, you walk outside, you're getting just a years. <laughs> Um, so it was, it was a nice little change of pace. Um, but anyways, I, I, I like talking a whole bunch of different shit. That's why this one's called what's in my head, um, <laughs> on these crazy little tangents. Um, but how many episodes did you write when, or did you come on right at the start and then you started writing or was there a backstory kind of already? I came, when I came on the show, they had already kind of figured out and sussed out the first few episodes. I was working with a guy by the name of John O'Howard. He was like the lead writer and story editor, uh, just the head writer. And uh, I think he, he, we were a couple episodes in when I came on board. And then, you know, I basically got thrown to him and, you know, hi, John. Oh, hi, Mike. Okay. We're writers now. And then, <laughs> you know, and then we just started to come up with story ideas and stuff. And then it kind of escalated from there for the longest time. Jono and I wrote probably like uh, for the first couple seasons, at least, uh, at least I want to say 80% of all the episodes, if not more, Jono more than me, because Jono was working in-house. I was freelancing at the time. I was, I was the only person on production uh, that was living outside of the studio. I was living here in California and working on the show from down here. Oh, so you guys, the studio, it was actually shot up there or? All the pre-production and production stuff was done in Canada, in Vancouver, in Danny's studios. It's called AKA Cartoons. And everyone that was working on the show for the production um, was working in a studio, in a building. It was an in-house job. I was the only one of the writers or people that was regularly working. I, I got to, you know, parse this out a little bit because there were some freelance guys. There was other people doing freelance stuff. And of course, the animation is done overseas. And there is a lot of moving parts to making a cartoon. But I was probably the only like regular person in, in, in the capacity of, of a regular writer to be working freelance. Everybody else was working in-house. So how, how was, did you, I can only imagine as far as like what I've experienced, I've gotten, I work in a kitchen. So uh, <laughs> I've, I've very similar. 
Yeah, I've said it numerous times and people fucking hate it, man. I, I'm a chef. And then, but I try to equate something to what somebody else was doing. That way I can understand it up here. My head works real weird, really weird. Sorry, hard to say. Um, but it was, it was funny seeing, uh, you know, a whole bunch of crazy shit going on the first day. And you're like, oh my God, I don't know what to do. Did you feel like that when you got pretty much thrown to the wolves? You're like, uh, I wanted to be a writer. I don't know what's going on now. I was too dumb to know better, <laughs> you know, which is, which is essentially how you learn anything, right? You don't realize the ramifications or consequences of what you're doing. You don't realize you're working on a multi-million dollar investment for a fledgling studio that's going to be seen by millions of people all over the world. You don't know that. You're just like, oh, here's some characters. Let's write some funny shit. And then so we just sat down and did that. The I'm more pressured now knowing what is involved than I was way back then because I didn't know any better. This was like, oh, let me try this for a bit. See how that works out. So so it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of experimental stuff, but there was really... I didn't know anything about making cartoons really uh, until I got that job and kind of worked the artists and worked with the sound people and actors and musicians and editors and all that stuff. And that all kind of fell into place. And when I saw how many people were involved and what an intricate, uh, complex endeavor it is, um, then I then I really gain an awareness and an appreciation of all the moving parts and everyone involved. And it's kind of nice because it, it starts with someone like me. Uh, I start by putting the words on a blank piece of paper. And from that, it cascades all the way down the pipeline to hundreds, if not thousands of people that work on this thing. It's yeah. pretty amazing. It's like a drop of water that collects in a stream and goes to the ocean. Now, I know you said when you got on, they'd already done a couple episodes at that point. Um, is it typical for a show uh, for whenever you guys start writing a script, you start writing episodes, you start writing out a story arc. Um, do you guys already have character design at that point? Like, obviously this is a different situation because you came on a few episodes into it. Um, but do they generally have, you know, what the characters look like, what their personalities are, and then you try to fit pieces to that character? Well, when I say a couple episodes in, I mean a couple episodes written. The production was far oh, right. from that. They were storyboarding. The, the, it takes from the time I submit a finished script and get final approval on it, it will be a year later until the cartoon is actually done. One so, time. yeah, typically a year. I mean, sometimes it's less, but on the average, it's about one year. Yeah. So, so when I say a couple episodes are done, a couple episodes were written. We had a uh, like a what's called a Bible uh, story or a show pack uh, that had the designs of the characters and talking with Jono and having conversations with Danny uh, Antonucci. I got a feel for the characters and stuff like that. I, I'm trying to remember if we had actual uh, voices yet, if the actors had done the voices yet, but I do re distinctly remember getting uh, like a file of some kind, which back then might have been, who knows, he probably sent me like a VHS tape or who knows. I mean, this is this is like the late 90s, so bear with me here. So um, mid to late 90s. So we did get tapes and stuff so we could hear voices. We could see pieces of animation so we could start seeing what it looked like. Um, but that was much later. Like that was well into the process. We kind of just winged it and 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 Danny was the final say on everything. So whatever he had in his head, whatever idea he had for these characters uh, to say and be like and, and their voices, that was all in his head. Uh, and then it all kind of came out and into play as we got further and further along into it.
Now, with these characters, do you remember like what had had they already established the entire cast as far as what characters they wanted in the show, or were they still trying to fledge out some of those ideas? No, the I still somewhere have an original Bible somewhere, and all the characters that are in the show were in that original Bible, were the original characters that Danny came up with from the get-go. Do you, do you know how long uh, from the time that he had the idea that he wanted to get this done, that you guys hooked up and started, you know, just writing shit out, or was it, because I know you said a year for a script, that seems like a long time, so I didn't know if yes. was concept. Yeah, um, he. I know he was pitching the idea to a couple places, and I know there was a a bidding war on it. And uh, uh, because of, there was a couple studios at the time that really wanted uh, to, to have Danny jump on board. One of them, I believe, I'm pretty sure one was Nickelodeon. The other one, I want to say, may have been Disney, um, but I'm not sure. Uh, the problem was, was even though they offered him a lot of money, they they wanted to take the control away from him. And he said, fuck you. No, I'm not doing that. <laughs> and which is very typical of him. And uh, and he ended up signing with Cartoon Network because they basically said, you can do whatever you want and we won't we're going to just be hands off you create your show and that's how you got ed ed and eddie and powerpuff girls and you know courage the cowardly dog and you know kids next door and cow and chicken and all that stuff because back then um our artists were given license to do whatever the hell they wanted and it was just assumed it's kind of like if your car is broken, you find the best mechanic, you give them your car, and then you step back, right? Yeah. That's how they used to make cartoons back then, right? Yeah. You know, they don't do that now, but back then, that's how they did it. So he got a lot of freedom and uh, he got a lot of creative, all, all the creative control was on him. He had final say on everything, and that's what he wanted. So that's what he took. Well, I mean, you could definitely tell because, like I said, I've got a 10 year old and watching some of the stuff he watches. And I talked about this with Matt earlier today. Everything is such a cookie cutter cartoon at this point. You know, you've got, especially on Cartoon Network these days, there's four or five cartoons that are out there that look almost identical, like the same creator, same, and they're, they're all different people, you know, different voice cast, different animators, different studios, but everything looks the same, you know? And yeah. So unique about Cartoon Network from the time cartoon, cartoon, or what a cartoon when that whole, um, what would you call it? Um, the renaissance is what it's called <laughs> like, like i like the cartoons that, that hit home to me specifically are those late 80s cartoons you know from a pup named scooby-doo and then you've got some of those movies like scooby-doo and the reluctant werewolf so that age right there and then you mix that with some and this one always gets shit on i don't know why but fantastic max was another one i'm not sure if you remember that one that a little baby that goes into space and stuff like that battles aliens all the way up until i want to say at least 2008 2009 was 12 years worth of holy shit these things are going to change cartoons and nothing is going to be the same anymore yeah where do you think or why do you think that they've came to a more hands-on approach because it seemed like it was working 10 years ago 20 years ago and um you know without trying to be offensive <laughs> I'm assuming I, just, something about I just find you know again I use the example of the mechanic there was a day 
or let's just say there's certain executives in, in, in entertainment and it's not just cartoons. It's probably in every movies and every form of entertainment there is um, that trust creators. And there's less and less and less of those people around. Uh, back when Ed, Ed, and Eddie started, uh, there was a gal by the name of Linda Semensky. And I remember meeting her and I remember talking with her about, you know, because she was shepherding a lot of these early shows that you really like, um, that you're, you're bringing up and stuff. And uh, I just remember her being very hands off and saying, you know, um, why would I spend millions of dollars, you know, of the studio's money, unless I thought you guys could make this, you know, <laughs> like, you know, it's like, you have to have faith in the process and faith in the people that are doing it. And if you truly believe they are the best people to be making this product, let them make it. Um, people don't do that these days. They, a lot of people think that they're all that's the other thing too. A lot of people think they're creative and even though they don't have a creative job, they all want to be creative. And what they don't understand is when they get into positions of power, their efforts to be super creative are actually an impeding our ability to do our job. And again, I go back to the mechanic. Okay. You hire the mechanic to fix your car and they go to turn a wrench or, a, you know, turn a, a bolt or something. You go, no, no, don't turn that one. Turn that one. Who the hell says that to their mechanic? Nobody does, but we do, we deal with that daily. I mean, I just, <laughs> I just got notes on a draft that I wrote nine pages of notes on a draft. And it's like, nine pages of notes that I have to change all this stuff and it's it's excessive and it's crazy but that's normal now back then we would get notes and if they made sense okay and if they didn't we would just ignore them and there was like a page one page you know if you know? <laughs> I, guess, I guess with the entertainment industry if this is just from a guy looking on the outside looking in or a fan's perspective everybody wants to have their name on something everybody wants to be like you know what I made this cartoon or I did this scene and it's the greatest thing since sliced bread. You know, with what you were saying with these guys that think they're creative, that aren't creative. It's, it's, you're, you're an idiot. Please. If anybody is listening, I hope people will listen. I really do. Uh, if, if you guys are listening, let these fuckers do what they do. They made magic <laughs> 20 years ago. They're making shit. Not you guys. Most of them are making shit now, 20 years later. And it, it's, Nobody's enjoying cartoons, really. At least me. I'm, I'm enjoying going back and watching the old catalog. Um, well, the, the fact that anyone's enjoying it is a testament to our ability to take all those terrible ideas and terrible notes and make them good. I, I often call it the executive salad. It, you get notes and it's like, okay, Mike, here's a t-shirt. Here's a hammer. Here's a pineapple. Now make a salad. And I have to make a salad somehow. I have to figure out how to make a salad. Sometimes it's good. Sometimes it's not. But, you know, I have to do my absolute best to the best of my capabilities to make sure that they have something that they can have for lunch. And it's, you know, I mean, at some point you get good enough at this that you just make the salad and it's always good. But there's been a few times where I'm just like, geez, I don't know if I can do it. I don't know about this. Like, you know, I'll do it. But I, uh, you know. You did. Have you put MacGyver on your resume yet? <laughs> no but sometimes it feels like that <laughs> you just gotta turn chicken shit into chicken salad i guess yeah um, but uh so going back to like i said we'll go off on all these little tangents but it, it sure. is, it's like i said I don't, I don't give a shit i'm having fun 
if nobody else is, you know what I mean? <laughs> that's all that matters. That's all that matters, man. I figure if, if you do something and you're super, super either passionate about it, or you're super happy about it. Hopefully that'll bleed off and then people will see that, but that's, you know, Oh, I believe that. Yeah, for sure. You know, but, um, so going back to some of these characters, cause you had some of Rolf is one of my favorite characters of mine too. Cartoon. Yeah. He, the son of a shepherd. <laughs> I got a, I got a buddy and we always, I always joke with him. Uh, you know, we're in a group chat. We play in D and D on Wednesdays every night with a bunch of us. And uh, he's the old man uh, of the group. Right. So we always, he's, I think he's, 47 or 46 right so we always call him 87 117 just because he get it's he's easy to spin up right and uh you know he he brings up you know this cartoon specifically and whenever we talk about it the first gif or the first meme or the first anything that's said about this show is rolf and it's generally son of a shepherd did you guys know like how much this guy was going to make people pop and by pop i mean laugh or just fucking cry with laughter um well it's hard to say because i mean it's hard to know what your audience is gonna laugh at but i can i can definitely tell you that while we were in the process of writing rolf's lines or doing rolf things or coming up with rolf ideas yeah we would laugh our asses off we just thought he was hilarious and he was just another character that was really great really funny and and the one thing I really liked that I thought Danny did uh, really well with him is he, we never pegged him to a specific place. Yeah. And the reason we did that is so we could make fun of all nationalities. It wasn't just, we weren't just picking on one culture. We picked on all of them. So it was, and that's kind of Rolf. He's like the everyman immigrant. He has all the weird customs and the weird traditions and the weird everything and says the weirdest shit and eats the weirdest food and has all these like very, he's easily offended for all the weirdest reasons. And yeah. it's just to us, it was just hilarious, right? We just, we would just laugh and laugh at his antics for sure. Yeah. I'm glad everybody else got like, like, got it as well it's nice when everyone's in on the same joke you are you know yeah I, I meant I meant to bring it up earlier so I used to have it's another sidetrack but it, it, it culminates into, into Ed Ed and Eddie I used to have a cockatiel right his name was Nacho right because he had <laughs> he had nacho cheese like I said I've been a fat kid my entire life I love food um, but he had these little rosy cheeks and it looked like nacho cheese so that's how he got the name Nacho and with these type of birds they whistle right? They talk, they communicate and all that other stuff. I didn't realize what I was creating with this bird. So in the morning time, I would get up around six o'clock. That's when Ed, Ed and Eddie would play. And then it would generally be another cartoon that led into something else um, on Cartoon Network when I was getting ready for school. My bird memorized you guys' theme song with the whistle. <laughs> so, I thought it was cool up until summer hit, right? And I'm out of school and I don't have to get up at six o'clock in the morning anymore. Yeah, he would start every day at clockwork whistling the Ed, Ed and Eddie theme song. <laughs> so, how did that one that that's one of those things it's it's you always want to pick something that's got some kind of alliteration or some kind of, uh, of, of, of rhyme so you can get people to it's always on their tongue or they can always you know recall to it. How did you guys come up with that? Or is that out of is that out of your realm as far as a writer goes? Or do you know how that came about the theme song? Um, that was all Danny's uh, creation. And I believe Danny did the whistling as well. And that was based on a song he loved. I believe it's called Big Noise from Winnetka is the name of the song. 
um, it's some 30s or 40s big band tune that he loved. And there was a lot of whistling in it. And he always referenced that song. Um, he loved that song. And that was just something he liked the whistling and he wanted to put it into the theme. So he worked with the uh, composer and they kind of put that thing together. But I think he did the whistling on them. I'm pretty sure. And that was done intentionally. That was just just his homage to a song he liked once again when he was a kid. Well, like I said, it, it kept me up and woke me up. That was my, <laughs> this is back, kids. This is, we talked about VHS, right? So this is back before <laughs> cell phones. This is back before, you know, Siri wake me up. Hopefully that doesn't tick that thing off. <laughs> you know, so it was before all of this stuff. So it was nice having a little, you know, a little Ed, Ed and Eddie uh, theme song wake up or a uh, wake up call type of thing. Well, um, if you ever if you ever get a chance to talk to Danny, you got to tell him that because they'll think that's pretty funny. <laughs> yeah, I, I wanted to I had it, he was the coolest bird ever. Right. And he would he would hang upside down and swing back and forth. Um, he was just a crazy damn bird. He didn't like my brother. My brother and I shared a room. So he would, I would let him out of the cage and we never clipped his wings because we liked to see him fly throughout the house. And he would always fly in circles around the fan when the fan was off. And he would shit every time he flew over my brother's bed. So he'd just litter his pillow. <laughs> yeah. he, he, was, he was a cool bird, man. Um, but nonetheless, I digress. So with some of these other characters, who was, who was not so much the funnest, but who was the easiest to slip into when you started writing these characters? Rolf, for sure. Yeah. Rolf. Yeah, for me, it was Rolf because Rolf was like Rolf. I gravitated to Rolf because it, there was so much of my own upbringing and my own crazy immigrant friends and family and stuff that I could just drop on. So he was really kind of easy to get and understand and get his voice and get his kind of ideas. I really liked writing episodes with him. I wrote a few. And the other one, weirdly enough, I ended up like being the Canker Sisters guy. Like I was always writing Canker Sisters episode. I'm not sure if that was done by design or if it was just a fluke or what, but I ended up writing the them a lot and, and kind of getting into their head. So that was a fun um, that was fun too. The one character that I absolutely would just shit the bed on every time was Naz. Naz, none of us liked writing Naz. We hated writing Naz. We just, we couldn't stand writing her. We could never figure out what to do with her. It was just, it was such a pain in the ass working with her. <laughs> so how did you, we'll come back to Naz because that's another character. I, it's not that I there's not a character on the show that I don't like, but there are like you, there's characters you connect with and there's characters you're like, eh, you know, if she gets hit by a bus, you know, I hope Naz never got hit by a bus, but eh, you know, if it happens, it happens and you understand, um, you know, but, but what was it about, uh, you know, some of those characters like the canker sisters that you think you clicked with? Um, I think part of it's just having kind of the similar experiences. Like we all have shared experiences, kids, and especially growing up in Canada, like, like we all did, um, you know, and the canker sisters, I mean, there was always like growing up, at least when I was a kid, and this would be, I'm, I'm dating myself, pushing me myself way back to like, I want to say the, the mid to late seventies, you know, you'd go to the school to hang out on the swings. And there was always this group of tough looking chicks in the corner. They were all of like 14 or 13 or whatever, smoking cigarettes, like being badasses. And when you were a little boy, they were terrifying, right? Like what the, like they were like the biker gang, yeah. you know, in the corner, but they were just like these 
you know, pre-pubescent or teenage girls trying to be tough badasses, right? And in Canada, that was the thing. So when I got the Canker Sisters, it just made me think of a lot. Like I have an older sister and it just kind of reminded me of, of some of her friends and, you know, and, and just that whole thing of being in- intimidated and scared of girls. Because, I mean, you know, as a boy, you go through a, a period of your life where you just think, girls, what the hell? Like, you're like, what is wrong with those those girls like they're so weird and freaky and scary and then you know you click over and then suddenly you can't think of anything else but <laughs> you know so so i i loved them for that it's it's that it, it's right on the cusp of when you start as as a boy to feel like i guess go through puberty and start feeling more of a sexual nature yeah. to the other sex or the other side or whoever you're attracted to um but it's before that you're confused and they scare the shit out of you and i i, I liked that about them because it was like these guys had these girls anytime they wanted them and they were terrified by them and that's just what little boys do you know and then later you're like kicking yourself in the ass going why didn't ed hook up with me you know like what <laughs> How did you got, because when I think of the term canker, I think of herpes, right? That's the first <laughs> thought that comes to my mind. Did you guys have any blowback? Obviously, they said, hey, man, you guys are the professionals. You do you. Just make it the best you can make. Did you well, back, anybody? Just- back then, it wasn't, there wasn't so much pearl clutching and hand wringing about things. So nobody really complained. I mean, no, that's not true. We had a wall of hate mail. Um, (laughs) There was a wall, literally a wall of hate mail for the show, which was hilarious. They made a big collage out of it in the studio. But um, somebody. Yeah, right. But but back then, I mean, you know, cankers, I think canker was just a canker story you have in your mouth. It's a nuisance. It's a pain. No one no one got too deep into it. It was just something that nobody wanted. And so I think just the the idea of the sisters being called cankers, it's like a sore nobody wants. Nobody wants them around. <laughs> I, I thought it was pretty funny. <laughs> I did I did too, but like when you think about it, I guess it's just if you're looking, because like I said, cow and chicken, okay, so you don't see cow's ass, but cow had an ass. Yes. Shaved ass. And then you had the devil, right? Who who puts the devil on cartoon cartoon network and you know, and he's just bouncing around on his ass. And then you go to yes. Eddie, you've got canker sisters, you know? So yes. just, just one after the next. And then if you think about it now, none of these cartoons would probably get made today because of those pearl clutchers, um, you know, and I'm just glad you guys did it back in the, you know, I was going to say back. In the- yeah. Not, none of that would be allowed today. We'd be hammered so hard on so many things. And it's just, it's a shame, you know, like, uh, you know, I, it's it's always so hard because on one level you know you want to be cool and you want to represent and you don't want to be exclusive and you want everybody to be part of this wonderful process of creation and stuff and speak with their own voices and their own characters and their own colors and whatever but on the other it's art who are you to judge art if this is a like I just had this discussion with someone the other day about the Joker movie. And there was a lot of blowback on that movie because people said, Oh, some angry old white guy again, but it's not, it's a piece of art and you could either hate it or like it, whatever, but you judge it by the merit of the 
artist, not by how it affects you. Um, you know, it affects you in the sense that good art should affect you, but you can't shit all over it because you can just say, I don't like that and move on to some art that you do like. So I think, I think back in those days, we didn't have this huge pressure to be politically correct or representative or, or do all this stuff. So we were a lot freer to say and do what we want. Now, did we probably cross the lines of good taste? Oh, for sure. A lot of times for sure we did. I mean, cause you know, when you're allowed to, you do and sure we could have probably been reeled back a little bit more than we were sure but you know in all honesty at the end of the day we couldn't make cartoon we, we can't make cartoons like that anymore unless we go to adult swim or go straight to feature there's just no way i mean i wish i wish they would bring back you know what a cartoon or cartoon cartoon under yeah adult swim label you know because there is so many cre especially now i guarantee you Danny being one of them, I guarantee you he's got something to say. Even if he's bringing the Ed Boys back, 10 years, I think, what, 2009 was the last time Ed, Ed and Eddie was on, I, I think. Um, yeah, I think so. Um, so I think that was the last time it was on. So I'm pretty sure he's had some shit going on in 11 years that he would love to just get off of his chest or, you know, put through in his art. You know? Yeah, he he does. In fact, a couple of years ago, we were in development on a show with him, Jono and I, and uh, it was a great show. And he had some animation done overseas on it. I believe it was in France or Spain. And it was just amazing. It was it was it was amazing. And it was going to be a great cartoon. And we were all hyped and all on board. And it looked like, you know, a major network was going to pick it up and then crickets. And I don't know what happened to it. And I don't know what's happened since. So it's it's hard to say, like, he does have ideas and he's a fantastic artist and he's got a lot of cool stuff. Um, but I don't know if anyone wants to take a chance on it. It's sad. I don't, I, I when, wish. When something like that happens, like Matt was talking about, he's writing a book and then I had brought it. Oh shit. Everybody wants to call when I'm doing, you know, everybody wants to call when nobody calls me at all during the day. When I'm <laughs> Lies. You're just, you're popular. <laughs> I wish. If I could go back and tell my, tell my, 10 year old self, 10, 11 year old self that I'd be sitting here talking and in the same day talking to Ed and I'd be talking to one of the best writers for this cartoon. I would have kicked the hell out of myself and called myself. <laughs> um, you know, but nobody ever calls unless you're doing something. Your hands are full. Oh man, you're eating a sandwich. Oh man, somebody's calling you. Um, shit, where are I going with this point? Oh, anyways, uh, Matt, we were talking about Matt and uh, he was writing a book and he was talking about self-publishing it. I brought up the idea of a Kickstarter. Never thought it, never crossed his mind. Is that something that you guys could possibly talk about? Put it on Kickstarter and fuck, you know, I don't give a shit about Disney, Nick or any of them. They're all great companies to work for. I'm sure they all have their merits. But if it's something that, that the fans would want to see, would that be something he would be up for? You guys would be up for putting on Kickstarter and letting us fans uh I don't know. I mean, again, that's up to him. And he's always been really adverse about Kickstarter and campaigns like that. He really, um, you know, I, I really can't be speaking for him because I don't know for sure. But I do know in the past he's been he hasn't been very warm about funding stuff. He really believes that you know, the networks and the people who have the buttons or can push the buttons to make something happen, they really should be supporting artists yeah. and they should be supporting creativity because that's essentially why they exist. Exactly. And, um, you know, he doesn't feel my perspective and I could be totally wrong here, but my perspective is he just doesn't feel like the fans should be doing what the studios are not. 
He thinks the studios are making a big mistake. And, you know, to a certain extent, I can agree with some of that, but, you know, they're also making a lot of other stuff. I mean, it depends, you know, and, and they're, they're obviously doing well because, you know, there's tons of shows being made and people are watching them. So it's hard to say, you know, like I, uh, I wish he was given more of an op- opportunities to explore some of his ideas, but uh, as of now, it doesn't, doesn't look like anything's happening. Well, that's a damn shame, man. There's nothing worse. And I found this out once COVID hit, there is nothing worse because when you lose your job or everything shuts down, you always think like when I got into this industry, uh, I got into this industry because I loved cooking and because I saw a guy named Emeril Lagasse just hold an entire studio of people captivated with throwing spices over somebody's shoulder or <laughs> French fries somewhere. Right. So it was the craziest thing I'd ever seen. And I can't remember who said it or who coined the phrase, but it, it's always horrible when you know you've got something that's coming from here or you've got something to say or you've got something to show and then you just got nobody that'll listen or nobody will take it on. And that's yeah. what it's like. I mean, like I said, this guy is a fucking genius and they hit, I don't know what it falls as far as, you know, greatest cartoons of all time. You can go back and look at these lists on Cartoon Network. And I think Powerpuff Girls has been consistently ahead of Ed and Eddie, which is bullshit. Um, <laughs> it's, it's a fantastic show don't get me wrong it's probably top five as far as the what a cartoon you know label um but there's no way it's beating um it, it's beating ed ed and eddie it's beating courage it's beating insert dexter's lab johnny bravo or any of these other characters and they're all at the far end billy and mandy um i just think it's one of those things that they like to play into like uh, girl power which is perfectly fine but you know you gotta sit here and you gotta give the the ovations to the ones that set that bar Right. Yeah, I, I agree. I wish they would, would get off their high horses and give this man some money, right? But <laughs> neither here nor there. Um, so, you know, we're still talking Ed's and, 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 but we talked earlier today and then you said you were working on Spidey. Can you yes, talk Spidey that? and his amazing friends. Yeah, that's on uh, Marvel, Marvel Animation Studios. Um, or I believe it's just Marvel Studios now. Um, anyways, they had some kind of a shakeup or something. I don't know all the politics or the details, but yeah, it's uh, Spider-Man, uh, Ghost Spider, and Spin, who's the... It's actually the spider, I guess, spider people from the multiverse movies, but it's the Ghost Spider and Spin, which is Miles Morales' character. They're just calling him Spin a different... Because it's preschool, they can't call everyone Spider-Man or like no one no one will understand. So they had to give them distinct names. So it's those three spiders, Spider-Men, Spider-Women, whatever, people. God, it's so hard these days to get it right. <laughs> Anyways, those three, you know, and then the rhino and the Doc Ock and all that stuff. But it's like for little kids. So it's not... It's not going to make your Spider-Man fanboy go, woo, you know, crazy. It's for it's for really young kids and kind of just introduce them into the world of Spider-Man and those characters and stuff and give them something fun and exciting and happy to watch. So it's pretty fun. I'm having a really good time with it. It's good. How'd you, how'd you, how'd you get that gig? Uh, well, I, I came off of, uh, I was at Disney for a few years. I was working on Mickey Mouse, uh, mixed up adventures and, and roadster racers and Mickey Mouse's hot diggity, all all sorts of Mickey Mouse stuff. And then that kind of ran its course and they were in development on, on some other shows. And I was let go in January of this year and I'm kind of twiddling my thumbs going, well, shit, what am I going to do now? And then COVID happened and I'm like, oh shit, what am I really going to do now? Because now it's like, this is crazy. I don't even know how to 
go and get work, you know? And, uh, and then out of the blue, I got a call from Marvel studios and they're like, can you, you want to write the Spider-Man show? And I never worked for Marvel. I didn't know these people. I'm not, I, at that time, I wasn't even sure how they got a hold of me. Um, and I said, Oh yeah, sure. I'll do it. <laughs> and, um, again, and it, it came out of the blue. What I found out in hindsight was, my name, because I was kind of like uh, floating around there and I wasn't assigned to a show, my name was popping up with a lot of different executives and creative people at Disney. And they were like trying to find a place for me. And eventually, because Disney bought Marvel, they were looking for writers down there and my name kind of floated down there. And then that's kind of how I got on board. So it all happened unbeknownst to me without my knowledge without me doing anything really it just kind of my name kind of floated around and and i landed in the gig what's funny how that works sometimes man you're not even looking for anything you wanted to be a writer and then you got put on one of the greatest ones on cartoons <laughs> just by throwing your throwing your name or throwing your hat whatever you want to throw into the ring it was it was very fortuitous let's just say because if if not i might be an accountant right now or something you know what i mean <laughs> Nobody, nobody wants to sit here and crunch numbers for a living. Everybody would much want to draw, write, do anything with cartoons over numbers. Unless you're into that shit. It's 2020. Do what you want to do. But sure. I'd much rather watch cartoons and laugh than look at numbers and cry. But that's just I so. I'm with you on that one. I, I can't I mean it's 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 a super fun job, but it's not an easy job. It's still a job sometimes. So uh but uh, if, if you get to have a job, you're not doing too bad having a job like this. <laughs> everybody's got something and everybody's gravitating towards something. So you might as well gravitate towards something you like, right? So Absolutely. When, just to go back to the Ed Boys, because like I said, this is such a fascinating show. Um, you said Naz was one of the characters you guys just did not like or did not like to write because she was difficult. Um what was, were there another character that might've been not as equally difficult, but just like, ah, fuck, I don't want to write Kevin today or insert whoever. Um, no, I don't think so. Um, they all, they're all so unique that it was always really fun to write. The only reason Naz was so hard to write was because she was so ununique of the character she was just your stereotypical dumb blonde girl right very stereotype very on the nose and um and for that reason she was difficult to write like it was kind of like what can we do with her well nothing <laughs> you know the more uh, you know here's a lesson for people um you know when you're trying to build a character or develop a character the more fucked up that character is the funner it is to write because nobody wants to see you know, like, like I, I often equate it, like, you know, Mickey Mouse is a great example. Nobody wants to see a cartoon with three Mickey Mouse and no Donald Duck. Nobody, because there's no dynamic. There's no tension. There's no drama. There's no nothing. Every, if you have three Mickey Mouses and they're all being nice to each other, that's boring. You yeah. throw Donald Duck in, he's an asshole. And suddenly there's tension, there's story, there's things happening. There's, there's chaos and stuff and people not getting along. And that's how you create good stories, good characters, good situations and wind people up and, and, and suck them in. So, so Naz was, Naz is, was that character that you just like, okay, dumb blonde. It's been done a million times. Like what, what more do we say with this that hasn't already been said? And, you know, there wasn't much, you know, she was kind of like one of those characters that really didn't pop like the rest of them do, you know, which is too bad. I mean, she had a few funny moments, but the other characters were so hilarious and so unique 
um, in their own ways and had their own voices and stuff that she kind of, I feel she didn't get enough justice. We probably should have spent a little bit more time trying to make her into more, but you know, she just kind of served her purpose and that was it. Hey man. I mean, I got laughs at Rolf and that's, it, you can get <laughs> laugh at anybody. I mean, it, it, it's, it's, it's good on you, but I mean, like I said, he just stole the show every time he was on, but speaking, I agree. Of, speaking of the three Ed boys though, which one was difficult to write for or were they all pretty much, you could just slip those shoes on. Um, you know, I don't think any of them were difficult to write. They were all three of them were very funny. And, and again, because all three were so different and have such different motivations, they really should not have been friends other than the fact that they had the same name, literally. That's the, and I think that was kind of done intentionally because if it, if they, if it was Ed, George and, and, and Tom, they would have never been friends. You know what I mean? The fact they had the same names and they were so different kept them together and and again those differences and the way they graded on each other's nerves all the time with all the different things that they used to do um was really funny and it, it's such an amazing inspiration for stories when you have those differences and when you have all that stuff just colliding all the time you know um, that's how you make great cartoons. It's not by making everyone cool and smart and fun. It's by making everybody asshole. <laughs> <laughs> and then, you know, they have to have redeeming qualities, of course, and they have to have heart and stuff. So you can sympathize with them and be on their side. Like, you know, Eddie was the biggest dick of them all, but you still felt sorry for Eddie because you knew someone like Eddie's always hustling and always trying to make a buck and, you know, kind of shady all the time. And you knew somebody like that, you yeah, know, the get rich quick scheme. Yes. The guy who's, yeah, the Tony Robbins guy, you know what I mean? He's <laughs> always looking for the shortcut, the easy way Does, never wanted to work hard, but like was expecting a sack of loot to drop out of the sky all the time. I mean, shit, you know, it's the American dream, I guess. <laughs> it kind of is. I agree. <laughs> uh, what was I'm pretty sure you guys have been asked this numerous times. And I always try not to ask you guys the same shit because I get, it gets boring. Um, sure. But there are some things that I just have to ask because I'm generally curious. Um, what was the jawbreaker fascination? Was that it? Was that something that was in his childhood or was that ever something that was discussed? I'm sure it was. Um. Jawbreakers, I don't know why specifically Jawbreakers, that particular candy. Um, I, I All I know is that, or the one reference I remember from Danny talking about it was he just thought it was a funny visual having this big lump on the side of your face. Yeah. And also he liked the idea that Jawbreakers change colors and they change the color of your tongue. So even in the original drawings, I remember seeing from the Bible and stuff like they always were running with their tongues hanging out of their mouths and they were all terrible, like all these weird colors and stuff. And I just thought, you know, I don't know specifically why Jawbreakers, but Jawbreaker is extremely kid-like. It's just too big for your goddamn mouth. You're going to choke on it. It colors your tongue. It's a pain in the ass. It takes three hours to dissolve. Like it's like, 
It's just something only a kid would do because it's other, no, everyone else would think this is stupid. Like, why can't I just, you know, have a chocolate bar and be done with it? No, I got to keep this thing in my mouth for two hours and wait pain, patiently for it to dissolve. Like, I don't know. I just find it kid-like and dumb. And I think that's why. I mean, we're always looking for kid-like and dumb and, and, and really gravitating towards dumb things that kids do, you know? <laughs> Cause that's, we all did it and our kids do it. And it's just, you laugh, you just laugh, just shake your head. You go, you dumb shit. And then you move on. Right. <laughs> I've always heard, you know. I've always heard with you guys and by you guys, I mean the creative types that make cartoons or that makes art or, you know, does anything that's creative. Um, you always say, and the best ones you always hear, I left a little piece of me or this took a little piece out of me or I put a little piece of myself in this. Um, when you sit back and you think about all these episodes you've written and all these characters you've written with this show, can you point out a piece of you that you left inside this universe? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and it is still to this day, I think, probably my favorite thing I've ever written ever in any show, anything I've ever done. And um, it's in an Ed Ed and Eddie uh, in, one, in one of the specials. It was in the Christmas special. Sure. Um, and it was Rolf's song about meat. He sings this song to Yeshmayak, which is like the goddess who lives under the earth in his Christmas traditions. And it's all about food and making food and eating. But if you don't work your ass off, this troll who lives underground and provides the feast, she's going to throw you into the pot and cook you with the feast so everybody gets to eat you. And it's so dark and crazy and nuts. And it was based on like I just remember my own family traditional feasts and stuff like like you know for Christmas we'd have a carp a carp what the hell a carp like what is that you know and I'm going to school you know as a kid you know everyone's like turkey dinner this turkey dinner that or roast prime rib you know and I'm like well we had carp and everyone's like what the hell where the hell are you from right so all of those weird moments of like eating the wrong food was yeah. kind of all put into that and all the, the immigrant stuff and all the weird family stuff and and I, I wrote this song called the Yeshmayak song that Rolf sings and to this day I think of all the things I ever written that was the most directly uh just just kind of my perspective on being the immigrant what that's like and or growing up in an immigrant family and uh and it was one of my favorites still this day my favorite thing i ever wrote i just love it it's funny it always makes me laugh i play it every christmas just to give myself a laugh um it's just something i enjoy it's to this day still now now be honest when ringtones were a big thing on phones did you <laughs> Did you hold your phone up and record this? So you no, but I did have the Ed Ed Nettie whistle as a ringtone at one point. Yeah, yeah. The, the the theme song was a ringtone at one time. No <laughs> lie. <laughs> so speak, speaking of you know the carp and everything like that, what was your favorite dish when you guys would have when you came over here and had Christmas and Thanksgiving and your parents started you know getting, um, I guess the American you know way of living or the American holidays. What was your favorite dish that your mom or dad or your grandparents or any of your family would make from where you guys came from in the Czech Republic? Um, sure God, there's so, so many. My mom was an amazing, or is, still is an amazing cook. And uh, she used to make all the traditional Czech foods. 
you know, there's stuff called Svichkova, which is like a meat with gravy and dumplings and stuff. And if you ever, if you ever find yourself in the Czech Republic, it's something you will be eating pretty much every day because it's one of the best things you'll ever eat. Um, you know, and it was also the, 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 the baking, you know, my mom would make something called kolach, which is very much like a fruit cobbler and uh, um, just the stews and the, and, and the soups and stuff. And everything was like, dumplings and gravy and i mean it, it was like a you know meat and potatoes kind of meal you know it was it definitely stick to your ribs kind of meal um but yeah it was all very good all very traditional i just remember you know one of my favorite things when i was a kid because i i got it so rarely i was only allowed to eat it so rarely was like craft dinner craft macaroni and cheese because sure. my my parents were like what is this crap right <laughs> you're not eating this we don't know what this is right so anytime i could sneak like go to a friend's house and they had like craft dinner or hot dogs or something I'd be like, oh yeah you know i'd be like so fucking stoked you know give me that craft single i want to eat processed food i don't know what that is you know squeezing velveta and a celery stick because I never ate that. My mom used to make everything from scratch. I was like desperate for McDonald's, you know? <laughs> I, I love, so I'm working in this industry and working in your industry, I'm pretty sure you get a, just a, an abundance of different people. And, you know, you, you, like you said, being from first generation American, so you get to see all of this crazy stuff. And, and we just had a, before we all got let go and then we all got to come back and all this other stuff i used to work with this guy um and he was from uh venezuela and this was his first thanksgiving uh last year it was his first thanksgiving in the states and he comes up to me and then we would communicate like we take our phone you know google translate works fantastic because i know some spanish but i can't hold a conversation there's certain words i can pick out and like okay i know where this is going type of thing but most of our communication until we could either, you know, broken English and broken Spanish on my side communicate was through that. So, you know, I get a text saying, hey, what's an American Thanksgiving? So I sent him pictures and I sent him a picture of one of my favorite dishes, which is green bean casserole. And he looks at it and he's like, what is this shit? <laughs> he was like, this all comes from a can. This is what this picture looks like. And I'm like, well, I mean, yeah, and he was like, this is why Americans are fat, and he hung up on me. <laughs> like, Christ, you ask me, what's an American Thanksgiving? What's a tr traditional American dish? I tell you, you shit on me and my food, and then you don't talk to me no more. So, you oh, know, dude, that's such an, an immigrant thing. Like, I can't tell you growing up with all the, you know, the immigrant uncles and aunts and parents and stuff like that, and they'd always say, you know, oh, and, you know, I grew up in Canada, so it's like, you know, you and those Canadians and your running shoes and your macaroni and cheese and it's like yeah running shoes are killer they're good they're, they're comfortable on your feet what, what i gotta walk around in fucking wooden clogs like yeah. what the hell is this like i want running shoes and macaroni and cheese yeah i'm freaking you know like they just didn't understand the food was like there's actually a very funny scene in one of the very first ed ed and eddie episodes where rolf sees i, I think i think and this is exactly on point to what you're talking about. Jimmy brings uh, a dish to a, a, a like a, a picnic, potluck. a potluck. Yeah, potluck yeah. 
And, and I think he brings, I don't remember what it was like, candied yams or something like that. And, and Rolf takes one look at it and goes, it's like, it's the food of the blah, and he runs away, right? And that that is exactly what you're talking about. It's like, what the hell are you eating? It's terrifying because, you know, because it comes from a can and they don't understand that. I, I, I wish more people would. So, you know, green bean casserole is just fantastic. But mac and cheese, anybody, anybody, <laughs> can, you think of the American diet, you think of cheeseburger. It's funny because I ask people what they think of when they think of American food. And they always say shit that's not ours. They'll say pizza, tacos, you know, cheeseburger. None of this stuff came from yeah. us, but we just took it to a whole new level. The only thing that I think we can honestly say that we created because of our waistlines was mac and cheese. And it's one of those things that everybody that comes here and they try, they're like, holy shit, <laughs> this stuff in a box isn't too bad. <laughs> but, um, you know, we're getting we're getting towards the end and I don't want to keep you too much longer. Oh, yeah, no um, worries. I always try to end the podcast with a couple questions. Depending on whoever I'm talking to, it's the same form of the question. But when you are, when it's all said and done, you know, you've sharpened your last pencil, you've typed your last key, right, for whatever script you're working on. When you hear the term Ed, Ed, and Eddie, what are some of the first thoughts that come to mind or get a what what comes out of you when you hear that term? Um, a lot of different stuff. I mean, certainly some nostalgia. It was a very fun time. It's where I learned how to be, you know, who I am as far as a writer and, and, and kind of got my chops and learned how to how to do my trade. Um, I, I remember all the amazing people I worked with, you know, John O'Howard, Rachel Connor, Daniel Seawee, all the artists, Big Jim and Toomey and, and Woody and Scott and all those guys. And I mean, it, it's it, it was just a really fun, fun time. I mean, it, it was hard. Danny's a very difficult guy to work for. There's no denying that. Um, and we really didn't know what the hell we were doing. Um, we were grossly underpaid for sure, <laughs> but we didn't know that either. <laughs> um, but you know, it was just fun. And I think of those characters and I think, I just think, you know, I, I'm brought, Ed and Eddie comes to the forefront of my mind because of people like you. Yeah. I run into people. I wear this shirt. It, it's weird, actually. It's this shirt that does it every time. I'll be out in public in this shirt, and some twenty-something-year-old will come up to me and go, "Black, I love that show." Blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, "This is amazing!" Like, I someone is looking at my shirt and going crazy about this show that they love so much that they got to tell me about it, and they don't even know that I I wrote on it. <laughs> like a lot of their a lot of their memories is probably stuff that I came up with in my head. And I typically, you know, I just, yeah, I'm cool. It's great meeting a fan. Love, you know, that's awesome. I'm a big fan of the show too. Like, I don't really tip my hat too often uh, unless I'm with my wife, in which case she's like, oh, you know him. He wrote on the show, you know? And I'm like, and, and me and the kids are like, oh no, right? Cause it's so embarrassing. That was great. She's just like that. Wives are fantastic. They do two things really great. They're always depending on how well you are with your wife, me, especially, it sounds like you as well. Uh, they're always your biggest supporters, right? They all, you can go, go, go. No, you need to quit being a bitch. You need to tighten up. You need to get on this. Cause you know, you wanted to do this. You're going to do this. Right. And then they're the ones that bust balls harder than <laughs> and embarrass you. <laughs> and then, but they do it 
because they love you, right? You know, yes, I get that. You know, you always, you never feel like it's malicious. And I, I always love that because no matter how, how big my ego might be at any point in time, I've got two people back here that tell me I ain't shit most of the time. <laughs> I can't yeah. give one of them. I told this story with Matt Hill. So if you guys are watching on the second podcast, I'm sorry, but it's okay. Uh, so he just competed in his first karate tournament um, uh, ever. And it's the first one since COVID. So it was a very small tournament. And he, he got first place in it and point sparring and all this other stuff, right? So I come home and then, you know, same, same uh, like uh, ritual or whatever it is, same ritual at night, uh, hug, kiss, good night, love you, see you tomorrow type of thing, right? And I go upstairs, I make sure he's tucked in because he's got this tendency where he'll kick all the blankets off of him and then he'll just be sitting there and he's shivering and shit. So, you know, do the dad thing, tuck him in. And I go to tuck him in and my hand hits something. I look down. And it's this huge fucking trophy he just got that he's sleeping with in his bed. Like he's pretty tall for his age, so he's uh, you know heights running on both sides of the family, and uh, so he's right at five foot at a ten year old, right? So the trophy is about three to four inches shorter than him, so he's almost as big as his trophy, or the trophy's almost as big as him. And uh, so I remember taking it out, and then the next night, same thing. He was sleeping with his trophy again. And then a couple days later, he found out when they released all the statistics for the fight and everything like that for the state, he was sixth in the state. Now, my kid is going to, I don't know what he's going to do when he gets older. It always changes. He wants to be a ninja one day. Then he wants to be a shark diver the next day. Then he wants to go sure. dinosaurs. So it's always changing. Um, but one thing is always consistent. If this kid wants to do something as far as the comedic route, he's in my opinion, he's got the chops. I'm not easy to make laugh, but I'm also not hard to make laugh. And uh, if, are you a Bruce Lee fan at all? Have you ever watched any of his movies? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, that, you know that pose he's got where he looks like a flying squirrel's lats are all coming out? So a couple days after he got his trophy, they released the point statistics for all the kids. And he found out he was sixth in the state, right? So I tell him, go upstairs. Hey, man, clean the cat litter, right? Your cat, you need to scoop the cat litter. And I just hear him saying something like, what'd you say? And he was like, I'm sixth in the state. I'm sixth in the state. And he's just walking up there <laughs> looking like little Bruce Lee. And I'm like, well, you can be sixth in the state and go clean the cat shit up, right? And so it was my chance to humble him because he does it to me consistently, um, you know. But nonetheless, right? So this has been such a fun talk. Hopefully we can do it again soon. I would love yeah. to have all of you guys on at one time. I'm working on all of you guys individual. A lot of you guys are working on a lot of stuff and hard to track down, but it's coming along slowly. Um, I've had such a fun childhood because of all the shit you wrote, all the stuff Danny came up with, all the stuff you guys collectively did. Man, I had, I mean, God, I get this shirt alone, this one and the old school Nickelodeon one I have with Rocco and everybody else on there from Hey Arnold to the fat heads from Rocco, you know. These, this shirt and that shirt are the two shirts go, oh man, I love that show. It's the first thing because you can honestly see either a fan or somebody being transported 20 years in the past. Yeah. They connected with, whether it was a cartoon, a television show, whatever it had. And you had such a huge part in that. And I, like I said, I want to take this time just to thank you and thank everybody else that has had such a huge, uh, a huge part of my childhood. Now my adulthood and now even my child's childhood right? so I, I can't thank you guys enough man i really appreciate it you guys have given me so many laughs uh, and i can't thank you guys enough for that well thank you so much as like i've said already a hundred times it's always uh, an amazing pleasure to meet a fan and 
And thank you for validating everything we do. I mean, our goal was to make people laugh, make kids specifically make kids laugh. And apparently we were able to do that. So win all the way around, right? <laughs> you guys made us laugh. You made us cry with some of these characters because of laughter. Um, and you guys, when it's all said and done, you know, you gave me what you think of when you think of Ed, Ed and Eddie, you know, when it's all said and done and who am I then other than just a fan, this might be the greatest cartoon that Cartoon Network has ever or will ever put on TV, right? And a lot of that has to go with you and Danny and everybody else that had such a huge part in this show. And like I said, thank you again. Uh, is there anything that you're working on or is there anything that you're putting out a book, a movie, something that we can help promote, you know, that you're working on? Um, well, <laughs> always working on stuff, but nothing uh, anywhere near to the time where I would be uh, pushing it or shopping it. But um, I'm always open to people if they want to ask questions or, you know, want to reach out or something. And, uh, you know, I'm always open to fans and stuff. So it doesn't matter what I'm working on. <laughs> where, where, where can people find you so we can drive some traffic to your page? Where can they find uh, you? Sure. I, I can be found at uh, MikeKubat.com. Um, there's all sorts of contact information in there. You can always shoot me an email or something um, through the webpage. Um, and then, of course, you can look me up on the traditional IMDB websites and stuff like that. So you can see my credits and stuff. But, yeah, if you want to reach me, just go to my webpage and shoot me uh shoot me an email and i'll get back to you <laughs> that's that's essentially how it would ladies and gentlemen that's how easy it is if you guys want to sit here and thank mike you want to thank danny you want to thank <laughs> bring, bring me the adulation come on tell me more about myself <laughs> i mean i gotta say you guys you guys you said it earlier you guys had the hate mail before i let you go i want to know is there anything you specifically remember i always love hearing what people hate on is there anything that you remember or anything that comes to mind when you think of that hate mail collage that you guys had hanging up on the refrigerator or wherever it was hanging up there's there's two good moments I'll, I'll tell them both to you the first one is the collage itself um there was a classroom i believe in this the uh, little town called Lin lynette i think it's called lynette washington and it was a classroom of like first graders like 30 first graders and their teacher got every kid in the class to write us a hate mail letter <laughs> we got we got like a stack of like 38 mail all from one classroom of kids so that was figured for prominently on the wall so that was always one of my favorite things um and the other thing is i was coaching soccer when my when my oldest daughter was was a lot younger um i was coaching uh ayso and i remember uh at one point i had to throw or i had to get a ride with one of the moms to a game or something and um so i'm i'm in the front seat with with one of the moms of the kids on my team and the girls are in the back of course the girls on the team and someone mentioned something about Ed, Ed, and Eddie in the back. And this mom goes, oh, my God, I hate that show. That show just sucks. Those kids are mean. There's nothing redeeming about this show. And I could just see, like, the, the girl's daughter in the back who knew I worked on the show. She's, like, going, mm -mm, mm -mm. like, she was just mortified. And to this day, I just laugh and laugh about that. That was, like, one of my favorite moments. <laughs> There's no better way to end this now than you getting 30 misspelled 
hate mail <laughs> that are probably written on crayon. And at this point, it's no different than social media for any hate mail because you would think all of these people write in crayon. Uh, you're sitting there, you're giving up your free time. You're not getting paid to teach somebody a sport. And they're going to sit here and attack your livelihood. I know. <laughs> well, let's just say it's 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 a good thing there's way more of you than them. <laughs> I mean, even if there's not, I'm pretty sure all you have to do is put that bat signal up in the air, that Ed signal in the air. We'll, we might, we'll kick the shit out of all these people that have anything. To say. And once again, the nerds will reign supreme. But Excellent. I got to say, man, it's been fun. I thank you again. I thank you a thousand times over for this cartoon. Thank you. And I look forward to talking to you again soon, man. I had a lot of fun doing this. No worries. Anytime. All right, brother. You take it easy. You stay safe and have a great time, man. You too. Bye. Thanks again for checking out the What's In My Head podcast. If you're digging what you're hearing, leave us a five-star rating. That will help other fans of animation and pop culture find the show. Don't forget to smash that subscribe button, tell a friend, and I'll see you guys and gals next week. Good night.